You stand on the shore of the ocean watching the tide come in. You sense the call of the sea beckoning to take you further. You step forward little by little, not knowing what to expect, but expecting more. You keep going as the ocean calls, calls you to enter in to deeper waters. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Deeper Waters Podcast. I'm Nick Peters, your host, seeking to bring you the very best in Christian scholarship and projects. And today, we're talking some about family strife. No, this isn't marriage help, although that's a great thing to talk about. This is talking about strife in another family, as it were, the <laughs> LGBT family. The group that's won tolerance and acceptance... There doesn't seem to be so much tolerance and acceptance within their own ranks among themselves. There was a lot of dissension <laughs> in the ranks. In talk about that, I brought on Brandon Showalter. He's a 2007 graduate of Bridgewater College of Virginia. He earned a BA in International Studies in Spanish and was a fellow of a Flory Honors Program studying abroad at the University of Barcelona in <laughs> Barcelona, Spain in 2005. He is also a fellow of the John Jay Institute for Faith, Society, and Law. He has been a journalist of a Christian post covering a wide range of topics. His report has been signed in the U.S. State Department's 2017 International Religious Freedom Report in the 2018 book, Braving the Future, Christian Faith in a World of Limitless Tech. Earlier this year, the Evangelical Press Association awarded him and one of his colleagues first place for the Best Article Series. <laughs> in late October 2017, he traveled to Germany to report on the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. Brandon, welcome to the Deeper Waters Podcast. Thank you, Nick. It's a pleasure to be with you. If my audience doesn't know much about you, tell us how you got to be doing what you're doing. Well, it is just, I kind of stumbled into it, really. I was uh, working several jobs back in 2015 and 16, and it was just, uh, I was sort of really overexerting myself and was looking to make a change. And although I had never done journalism before, a friend of mine sent over something on a listserv that I'm on, and I just decided, you know, I'm just going to give this a shot. I had done a little bit of blogging with Pathios, and I just thought, well, I want to give this writing thing, uh, try to see if I can develop my skill a little bit more. Um, But it was really just sort of out of (laughs) some desperation. I just wanted to make a change. And so I just dove in and took a risk, and submitted some of my writing samples that I'd done while blogging, and the rest, as they say, is history. Uh, And I've learned a lot since that day. Um, I started, my first day was actually the day after the Pulse nightclub shooting in June of 2016. Uh, Ended up writing, you know, an article or two about the Christian response to that shooting, and uh, was you know subsequently told in the following weeks that you know I was writing some articles on LGBT oriented themes, but that my writing was gracious and that they didn't have to edit my articles for tone. And so I thought, well, if I'm excelling here, I'll just 
continue to pitch stories along these same lines and I'll see if I can, you know, help the Christian world understand what's going on in that movement and um, do so with compassion and truth. And I've just sort of continued along those same lines, but I'll say that the main focus of my reporting, a lot of it anyway, has been on the transgender movement, because that's really what most LGBT organizations are focused on right now. Uh, and so, yeah, that's that's about it. Yeah, you came with the recommendations of Dr. Jennifer Roback Morris. Back during my show prep, we were discussing her book, The Sexual Estate, which you and I both read and highly recommend. <laughs> And last week we had on uh, Michelle Cretella. I'm pretty sure you probably know who that is. I do know her. Yes, yeah. she's a friend. So we were talking about transgenderism. And today, now we're going to be talking about the whole LGBT movement, which I've heard go so far as LGBTQAI. It's like they keep changing it over and over. And there's more letters than even that, but yes. Oh. <clears throat> and Dr. J said after the Oberfair decision... They went straight to the transgender movement. But the transgender movement seems to be causing some dissension in the ranks, isn't it? It really is. Anymore, LGBT organizations are almost completely ignoring the LG and B. And they're almost completely focused on the T and the queer. They've just moved on. It's, I mean, it wasn't a slippery slope, as many more conservative types said. It was more like a greased slope. Could you uh, was, clarify uh, for, for a moment sure. what is meant by the queer? Because when I know when my parents were growing up, Q, queer was just another yeah. way of saying gay. What does it mean today? <sighs> well, queer is sort of an all, all-encompassing word, um, and it, it, there are links and associations made with queer theory, which is this sort of this more academic term where it's just sort of a breakdown of everything. It doesn't necessarily just mean homosexual. It's just, uh, if something is queer, it is just, it's off. It's, it's strange or it's different, but it, in this context, it has this positive connotation that it's, you know, kind of bright or, yeah, interesting, unique, um, and all-encompassing, and so it it doesn't necessarily mean lesbian or gay or bisexual. It could mean any of that, but it's it's more <laughs> it's more all-encompassing than that. Uh, it's uh, <laughs> it, I, frankly, it, when you get into these you know extra letters of the alphabet soup, trying to even give any coherent definition can be a very hard thing because. I'll, I'll just say it too. I mean, transgender. What does that really even mean? It used to be called transsexual, but you know, you can't really ever change your. I mean, you can't change sex, and so even the the whole idea of transgender is a physical impossibility, and so giving a clear definition for it is is pretty hard. And the same for queer. <laughs> mm-hmm. So get back to your point that you were making. About the LGBT movement there, for dissension in the ranks. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's uh, as I was just saying. Um, what I have come to understand as I've engaged a, a, a lot now, as I've reported on uh, 
the transgender movement and particularly the uh, just the transgender takeover of LGBT organizations, one of the things that I've come to learn is that it, it's, it looks nothing. The gay rights movement looks nothing like it did as recently as three or four years ago. After, as you just mentioned there, Dr. Morse said that they moved immediately on to uh, you know, transgender rights after the Obergefell ruling in the summer of 2015. Um, it's, <laughs> I tell you, the dissension is, is huge and it's really appalling, I have come to learn, what lesbians have been enduring. They have been mistreated with absolutely grotesque. I, I mean, I can't, I, I don't even want to repeat some of the things that I've heard that have been said to lesbians who, who don't agree with the transgender movement. Uh, and it's even, it's sort of the lesbian and gay identities are being transed away with chemicals, as you probably know if you talked with Michelle Cretella. Uh, <laughs> these chemicals and puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones are being injected into gender-confused you know, young people, but everybody who wants to transition now. Um, but what's fascinating and I think horrifying is how even same-sex attracted persons are victims of this medicalization. I heard a story recently from, uh, uh, I was chatting with a, a lesbian friend who, uh, there was a mother um, who was, it was actually on a Facebook thread and I know this woman was being truthful. And I've heard, uh, I've heard other stories like this where she was with her daughter in a, in a doctor's appointment and this daughter had not you know, fully identified herself as a lesbian, but indicated that she experienced, you know, same-sex attraction was preferred the company of girls. The, the mother had been made to leave the room during the doctor's appointment. And, she, you know, she thought, well, my daughter's, you know, 16, she can handle herself. It's not going to be a big deal. And she expected the doctor to ask her daughter questions about, you know, are you sexually active, you know, the kind of things that you would expect a teenager not to be so totally honest with her parent there in the room. But she asked those questions and she asked about, you know, are, are you going to need birth control? And the girl then indicated, like I was just saying, she's same-sex attracted and didn't need birth control. The doctor went on to ask, well, are you sure that you were born in the correct body? Were you born in the wrong body? Do you want a trans counselor? And it rattled this young girl. And the mother was incensed. So it, it, I, that's the most bewildering thing to me. I continue to just be shocked about this, is that even people within the LGNB are being harmed in service to the T. Because now same-sex attraction is essentially seen as some kind of biological disease to be you know, converted away, transed away with chemicals. I mean, I, I'm still flabbergasted that that's happening, but it really is. Um, and uh, that's, that's why today I reached out to with, you know, semi-regularly by gays and lesbians saying, please don't stop reporting because people are being harmed and they don't realize it. I mean, Whatever people think of same-sex attraction and sexual ethics, I mean, as a Christian, I hold the you know, historic view of that. I know 
no Christian who thinks it's ethical to treat same-sex attraction with, you know, an endocrinologist administering hormones of the opposite sex. I mean, it's just that bizarre and wild. You know, as you were talking about that, I was thinking it seems fascinating to me that we're not allowed to do think what's called reparative therapy, as we're <laughs> aware. You know, you you t- work with someone who's got same sex attraction to get them mm-hmm. to have an an attraction to the opposite sex. That's not allowed, but it is okay to in, to suggest injecting hormones into them so that they can become the opposite sex. It's fascinating because, yeah, it, there is a current push to ban what what they what they call conversion therapy, and that would include. I mean, it, it these these bans are so broad. I mean, we're not sure if that does that include sacramental confession or any kind of pastoral counseling or talk therapy and. Uh, you, you said reparative therapy. The pe- thing that people need to understand is that that is only ever voluntary. If someone has unwanted same-sex attraction and wants to talk with a counselor about it, it's client-directed. This is a very top-down, big pharma-sponsored, literally chemical-laden <laughs> conversion therapy. Uh, and so this is the actual conversion therapy, I say. I mean, no one, I mean, this day and age, no one is being forced. I mean, maybe there's some parents who they ask their teenagers who say that they're same-sex attracted to go to a counselor. But it's, it's nothing. There's just no comparison between the two things in terms of harm done. None. I mean, if you when you inject, as I'm sure you probably discussed with Michelle Cortella, when you inject these puberty blockers or chemicals into into a healthy body, you 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 create a disease state. You oftentimes you you give someone an endocrine disease, and so. Uh, but yeah, and that's they're doing that to same sex attracted young men and women too. Uh, it's just it's horrible. Yeah. Well, those you don't know, like maybe if this is your first time listening to the show, we did interview Michelle Cortella last week on transgenderism, mm-hmm. and I. It, I really just don't even know how to make sense of all this. And one example I gave her last week when we were talking about this was you start talking about Caitlyn Jenner. So mm-hmm. my wife had asked me this question. You know, Caitlyn Jenner is supposed to be a guy who became a woman, and he's dating supposedly a, a girl, a guy who was a girl. Does that make him? Gay or what? And I said, beats me. I have no idea. And she didn't even have any idea. Michelle didn't have any idea what it was either. I mean, we don't even know how to talk about this stuff anymore. Right. Uh, the best I can say, and you're correct. He's he's a Caitlyn Jenner is in his sixties, and I think the person he's dating is in his twenties. So there's a huge age gap. What I would say, I mean, this is just my best diagnosis i mean i i agree that it's very confusing but that he is an autogynophile heterosexual and an autogynophile is a man a heterosexual man a very small portion of autogynophiles i think are same-sex attracted but um they're <laughs> men with a fetish that get a thrill out of presenting as a woman dressing as a woman and he is you know seeing someone with the same and so uh that's my best description, but who knows what's really going on? I mean, it's it is just so confusing, as you said. I understand there's also a lot of dissension with the B in the LGBT movement. Is that accurate too? 
That is accurate, and it's, <laughs> I mean, it's sort of the same, it's along some of the same lines uh, as I was just talking about, you know, the lesbians and gays. It, they, uh, everything has been sidelined um, in favor, in, in service to the T. I mean, and so I, a friend of mine who is, identifies herself as bisexual is very opposed to what's going on now. Um, you know, they're one of the, they're, sm they're probably the smallest, you know, the number of, of people within that acronym, uh, the smallest portion of that group were attracted to both the same sex and the opposite sex. But uh, again, it's, it's, uh, I just can't emphasize enough how much everything serves the T and it's most, it's the L's who are being most egregiously harmed and it's the G's who are propping up the T, but everything is about the T now. It's the just the next phase of the sexual revolution, it seems. And uh, they have taken over the major media and the, the medical establishment, a lot of educational curricula and entertainment. This ideology is everywhere. Um, and it's... It's, it's propped up by a lot of people with a lot of money and a lot of influence. Hi, this is Justin Brawley of the Unbelievable Radio Show and Podcast, recommending another podcast to you. Nick Peters is a deep thinker, a friend of mine, and he has an inspiring faith. So you should listen to him and his excellent guests on the Deeper Waters show. So keep going deeper and keep getting uh, wetter, I guess. Blessings, Nick. Keep up the good work. Why is it that they would go after the L's especially and not the G's? And why would the G's be interested in holding them up? Well, there are, I should say, there are some G's that are opposed to this too. Um, but I, and I'm not, I'm not an expert really on the gay rights movement and its history, but from what I've understood, from what I understand is that lesbians have been mistreated for a long time, uh, they've really uh, <laughs> the there's a there's a deep misogyny within many LGBT organizations where gay men really really mistreat lesbians and the people that have a lot of the the money and who sort of call the shots at the top are very wealthy white gay men and so the concerns of lesbians are not heard and you know. Back back in the 70s, uh, it's my understanding that it was the lesbians that were kicking the pedophiles out of a lot of the gay rights movements, and they they were, you know, I, I even heard <laughs> lesbianism and male homosexuality are quite quite different. Um, I, <laughs> I I've even heard a lesbian comedian tell the joke, you know, what do you what do you get a lesbian on the second date? And the answer is a U-Haul truck. And the conversely, what do you get a gay man on a second date? And the, the answer to the joke is, what second date? The point being, lesbians are interested in sort of making a home. They're not <laughs> participating in this kind of blithe hedonism as, you know, as is the case more often with, with gay men. And so 
lesbians have struggled to have influence even within their own movement, but that's just really ramped up and have been amplified, especially now with the, uh, the ascendancy of the transgender movement. Uh, and it's lesbian voices that have been some of the most insightful in critiquing all of this gender nonsense because, um, they know what it's like to be mistreated and, and they have some very interesting insights. Years ago, I read uh, Randy Stilts' book, Emma Bam Played On, mm-hmm. talking about the uh, origin of AIDS and how that was handled. And so you remark about <laughs> homosexual men certainly brought back, not mind what I was reading there, I mean, about like Gatian Dugas, Patient Zero, who could have been with, I don't remember if it was a thousand men or ten thousand men, but whichever one, it was a very huge number. Right, right. It's really, it's so sad. It really is. Um, if I, <laughs> I'm, I'm not an expert on the AIDS crisis, but um, hearing that figure, and I'm familiar with that book, doesn't surprise me. Well, I'd like to remind everyone at this point that you're listening to the Deeper Waters podcast. We got Brandon Shawaltron talking about dissension within the LGBT community. But if you're here next week, we're going to have Mary Jo Sharpon. She's got a new book out called <laughs> Why I Still Believe. It's a very good book to deal with issues people have with hypocrisy in the church, things like that. So we'll be talking with her next week. So let's get back to Brandon. When I can speculate there are some people that could be listening to my show who might be more cynical of things and think, well, you know, this is just the unbelievers out there, you know, bring on themselves just judgment because of their behavior, and they could saying, why should we Christians care about the dissension going on in the LGBT community? Well, I think we as Christians have a responsibility to love our neighbors. And, you know, it's, you know, I, I think my perspective on this is, is again, while I, I do hold to you know, historic Christian teaching on marriage and sexual ethics, I, I really value my gay and lesbian friends, and I don't want to see them harmed by this horrific medicalization and of, of gender. Uh, it, it, it's, fun, it's unethical um, to be injecting hormones and puberty blockers and performing surgical interventions because people are same-sex attracted. I mean, I, I just think that's outrageous. Uh, so, But to your larger point about the dissension within the movement, I really just, I believe that it's time for Christians to just reach out. Um, because I don't think any of us, regardless of someone's, you know, sexual attraction or orientation, wants to see women mistreated. I mean, I, I think we should care about that. And it's time for, to reach out. And so... You know, I, I, I think it's it's just it's important to care about it also because it, the the LGBT movement as it is today, likes to present itself as this kind of unified front, as though they are one big happy family, <laughs> all the rainbows and glitter. It's just important for them to know that it's not true. There, it's all is not well in that land, but the. <laughs> Again, I just I just see so many people being so harmed, and um, we have a chance to just 
minister the love and grace of Jesus Christ. And, you know, a lot of these individuals have been very wounded by religion and churches, and they haven't been treated well. But I think a lot of us, I certainly care. And, you know, I, <laughs> for me, it's just I don't want to see people harmed. And, and, the, and the harm is being done uh, to their own community. And I don't really think we have any room to just be telling them, well, they made their bed, they can lay on it, lay in it. They, they, they deserve this. I'm not going to have that kind of a snide attitude about this. Um, however much I may disagree with certain things, I'm, <laughs> the house is, on, is not only on fire, it's being consumed with flames. And young children, and including same-sex attracted men and women, are being, you know, <laughs> they're being given diseases, and they're being put at risk for osteoporosis and cardiovascular disease. That's how dire and bad this transgender movement is. It's it's really so much worse than the average person knows. And so at the very least, even if people don't, you know, have much, you know, regard for LGB persons, I say have some compassion because there are a lot of people being harmed. So that's that's my answer on that. Yeah, I even compare you know, if we lived in Germany during World War Two, if we stand aside and let the government come for the Jews or anyone else, there's no guarantee they won't come for us the same way. Yes, so many. I mean, this this movement is destructive, no matter who the target is. So, for goodness' sakes, reach out. <laughs> so, how also? I think another group that's having a hard time dealing with all this, or oh, not officially probably LGBT movement, is, and I'm sure the lesbians inclusive, is the feminist movement. Mm-hmm. Right. As, I, as I told Michelle last week, I've, one of the jokes I make now when I see all this coming out and hearing all these stories about the these transgender men participating in women's sports, that where now we went through all these years because... Women were tired of men being superior, and now men are superior at women's sports as well. Right, right. It's um, the feminists uh, that I corresponded with are very upset, and rightly so, uh, that men are taking over their sports, but more broadly, that they're trying to redefine women. I mean, that is a radical, radical change. Uh, I mean, what I find so... uh, so awful and insidious is they trot out these individuals with chromosomal abnormalities, these disorders of sexual development, uh, intersex conditions like Kleinfelder's and Turner syndrome, and they take these intersex people and conflate them with these men who claim to be women, have nothing wrong with their chromosomes, and uh, and they <laughs> they then use them to cast doubt on the definition of woman as though we don't really know what a woman is when really the feminists have argued for years that women as a class of people have been held down on the basis of their biology that they have been oppressed particularly for their reproductive capacity and so now these left-wing men come along and just say we suddenly don't know what women are and you know sports is just one area where they're allowing this is in liberal states and in cities where Yes, these young boys that have so much of a physiological advantage over girls are taking titles and opportunities away from from athletes, from girl female athletes, 
and they're trying to overhaul civil rights laws and using gender identity as an additional category, which would completely erase all sex-based rights since gender identity doesn't even exist in material reality. It's a completely contrived term. And so uh, a lot of the feminists have seen this coming. Janice Raymond in 1979 wrote the book, The Transsexual Empire. Sheila Jeffries, author of Gender Hurts. These women saw this coming and very few listened to them, but their predictions are now coming to fruition. And uh, if, if I was a radical feminist, I'd be incensed. And, and I'm, I'm incensed anyway, and I'm not a, I'm not a radical feminist, but uh, they are, you know, they have some very interesting insights into all of this as well. Yeah, I think you find it amazing as an apologist for things that I'm having to defend. I never would have thought I'd have to defend so many years ago. I, I have to actually defend that men are men and right. women are women. And that's so amusing. This is from the. This is in the face of a group of people who often talk about science is everything oh, and know. philosophy is nothing. And yet, if they went for science here, you'd be able to look and say, yeah, um, you can look and tell which which one's a man and which one's a boy. And instead I get into philosophical terminologies. It's just so nonsensical. The most basic facts of our being are being called into question as though we can't know them. It's utter insanity. And I... <laughs> lady brain we're supposed to believe as opposed to male penis. I mean, really. It's, it's so absurd. Yeah. So what can we Christians be doing here about this whole kind of thing. I mean, we we don't... I, I seriously doubt that a lot of people in the LGBT community are ready to jump up and trust Christians immediately because, let's face it, we right. don't have the best track record. So, no. what do we do? Well, I think... Um, I think it's the first thing to do is really take stock of... We have to recognize how how many churches and Christians have not treated LGBT identified, I mean, persons with, with kindness and respect. Like I, again, it's despite, I, I am not one to, you know, compromise an inch on with, when it comes to what I believe about marriage and sexual ethics. I believe that is an essential piece of the gospel. It's not just something to agree to disagree on. It's very, it's central to our faith. Uh, but the experience of many, you know, lesbians and gays has been being treated with a lot of unkindness and even cruelty uh, in, in churches. A lot of them have very bad experiences. And so, frankly, even if that wasn't, it wasn't my, I mean, I, it wasn't my experience, We, but I think we need to own that. You know, we, we need to recognize that and understand that there's a very real pain out there of, uh, you know, people who've not been treated well. And so I would first say to people, like, don't expect there to be easy kind of kind relationships forged be, to be forged right away because there's a lot of baggage. And so just be willing to navigate that with as much grace as you possibly can. But if they're willing to talk, and and, and I've, I've spoken to, to many, they... <laughs> I'll just reemphasize, keep the main thing the main thing. Focus on what you agree on. Just focus on the fact that you want to protect people from 
being injected with these awful hormones and drugs, and you don't want to see people mistreated. Uh, I'll, I'll also add that what also seems to be happening at this time in history, and it's very alarming, is that there is a push on the left to decriminalize and normalize, quote-unquote, sex work. There's this push to normalize prostitution. And a lot of the radical feminists and the lesbians especially find that horrific. And I know we as Christians do as well. We don't believe that any woman should ever be rented out to some man for sexual pleasure. That he's, I mean, men who want to just buy women, they're not entitled to an orgasm. And so we agree with them on that. So focus on that. Keep your, keep your conversations where you agree and just work as cooperatively as you can and trust that, you know, as you continue to build trust and relationships that God's working all the while. Maybe they don't believe in God, but that's okay. We're, we're <laughs> that whole love your neighbor as yourself thing. You just stay focused on that. <laughs> yeah. I, I just don't understand some way that people can mistreat those in the community. I remember when I, Worked at a restaurant, worked at a, a Walmart once. I was going on my lunch break, and there was a guy who was also going on lunch at the same time. And I was going to go to a local pizzeria. He said, Why don't I go with you? I said, Sure. I knew he was a homosexual man at the same mm-hmm. time. And, you know, I'm a single guy. And mm-hmm. I also knew you go out there on your lunch break, a single guy with a homosexual man, people could talk. Yep. I didn't care. I yeah. knew who I was, and one of the things I've been told when I was in Bible college is if you meet a homosexual man and you're willing to get him to Christ, one of the best things you can do is just treat him like one of the guys. Yeah, just and just be normal. Just be a friend. <laughs> just love him. Just love her. I mean, we, we're, we're all in need of friendship, and you can't worry about stigma or what people will say. These are... Love your neighbor as yourself. Again, I'll just reiterate. At this point, I can remind everyone that what we do here at the Deeper Waters Podcast, it's supported by people like you. It's ordinary people listening to their podcast feed at their gym or whatever, and wanting to learn some things about Christian apologetics at the same time. And if you want to be a part of what's going on, I really encourage that. Please go to my website, deeperwatersapologetics.com. There's a link on the side to uh, help support the work of Deeper Waters Christian Ministries. You click on that link and you get taken to the ministry of Risen Jesus. <laughs> have you gone to the right place? Yes, you have. Those are my in-laws, Mike and Debbie Lacona. 
and you make your donation and you get in touch with the with me or my wife Ari or Mike or Debbie themselves say hey I made a donation I want to go to Nick Peters I want to go to Deeper Waters we will get that donation it will be tax deductible you can also uh, buy some ebooks one that I've written Creed for the Ages the Apostles Creed in Today's Christian and one that I've co-written one's or should I say one's I've co-written like a Contextualizing inerrancy, defining inerrancy, groundless, God and natural disasters, Christian answers for this generation's questions. <laughs> and of course, the Mentioner Bars Project, one of our most popular ones. And you cannot, if you can't do any of these, please just at least consider going on iTunes and leaving a positive review of the Deeper Waters podcast. It means so much to me to see that. <laughs> Now, Brandon, do you have an organization or a charity of some sort that you'd like to see people donate to? Well, uh, I would, actually, and it's called the Brush Fires Foundation. Um, I'm on the board of directors of this organization, and people can take a peek at our website at uh, www.brushfiresfoundation.org. And what we are is we're a ministry that um, we're trying to engage the the touchy subject of sexuality and equip leaders and churches to minister with compassion and engage this subject holistically, obviously from within the framework of a biblical worldview. Um, but uh, I think we're trying to, I mean, I think, I know we, we see a need to really speak to this with um, a lot of deeper depth <laughs> and um, recognize that, you know, every single one of us, has, has been affected by uh, sexual sin of some kind. I mean, it's just, it's so in the culture. And so we want to offer a compassionate response to, um, as our friend Dr. J would say, the victims of the sexual revolution, uh, what, however that looks, uh, because we see this as um, the front lines of the gospel. We see you know, ministering to the wounds of the sexually wounded as... Um, just kind of <laughs> where we need to be. And I think there's no shortage of that. So brushfiresfoundation.org if people are interested. Okay. Now what would you say of someone out there who says, you know, Brian, you got something good here. I'd really like to help, but geez, I, I don't know how. I mean, I, I'm kind of wondering what happens if I invite, say, my <laughs> homosexual neighbors over to dinner and we start talking and they say, what do you think about homosexual behavior, especially if they know I'm a Christian? I mean, what do I do then? What do I say? Well, I think what would... <laughs> I, I don't know. That would be a very interesting scenario to happen. But I would just say, trust that the Holy Spirit will give you the words at the time. Um, be, be truthful. Be honest. Um, but... I want to. I want to be realistic about, um, you know, how things are. I, I, I think the, the the lack of trust is just so big that you know, even if a, if a dinner invitation could even happen, would be huge because there there is such a gaping wound here. But I I would all I will also offer that I think at least with among among evangelicalism among evangelicals, I, I think that. 
the response to sexuality, there's been sort of a pendulum swing in, in recent decades where perhaps in response to sort of the, cra the craziness of the 60s, this whole kind of sex, drugs, and rock and roll, the, you know, the, the free love, sort of all of the, the hedonism that just sort of took off at, at that time. There was this kind of shift away, at least within evangelical churches, away from that. They recognized that was very destructive. Um, and this whole kind of purity culture emerged where it's very moralistic and so you just got to follow the rules. And now there's this sort of swing back away from that. I would urge evangelicals and any Christian to really engage the theology of the body. Um, Christopher West is a wonderful resource. Um, because the story that God tells in Scripture about who we are as sexual beings is a beautiful thing to offer. Um, the Bible begins in a wedding in a garden, and it ends with the concludes with the marriage supper of the Lamb. Marriage is this great, the one flesh union between male and woman is you know woven throughout the entire narrative of Scripture. The Song of Songs, the Song of Songs showcases the beautiful nuptial love of spousal love. And so that's really, I think, what we need to get in our DNA to be able to talk about um, sexuality with our neighbors, both you know LGBT and not, because that's the story of Scripture that uh, that is, I think, what we need to offer the world. Um, and it's not just sort of, well, my moral view is this, blah blah blah. Um, I mean, but if 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 that scenario that would happen, I would just say be truthful and honest. Um, and, you know, there will likely not be much understanding and there might be hurt feelings. But, again, I don't think compromise is ever a good idea either. So, I <laughs> just just pray that you have opportunity to, to love your neighbors and trust that God is working in them too, even if, it, even if there are, you know, misunderstandings and hurt feelings. Because... Um, mm -hmm these wounds in our culture go very deep. And mm -hmm. so you're just going to have to deal with that. Yeah, I, I think actually that a lot of homosexuals have said that if they were looking for a church, they actually want one that's very conservative in what it says. Well, you know, it's I've, I've read studies like that too. Um, and anymore, <laughs> these quote-unquote inclusive churches are just tanking there, i mean these liberal protestant mainline churches there's i mean they could be gone in the next 10 to 20 i mean they won't completely disappear but the gospel is not proclaimed there in most of them and so or it's not <laughs> i i've it, it actually is true that you know it's less the case now the sort of the fundamentalist more oriented churches of old were not good places at all for you know gays and lesbians, same-sex attracted persons. Uh, these days, people, even in churches that proclaim the historic view of marriage and sexuality, are very welcoming, and they're not afraid about, you know, talking about these issues. They're less so. They're less scared about this, and they're welcoming, kind places for people to be. Um, not always the case, but that's that's more the case now, and I am also familiar with, you know, the studies you said there. I've I've read that data too. Mm -hmm. Let's uh, let's suppose that someone wants to try and do something politically as well to help these people and say, you know, I could consider writing to my congressman, but 
what would I say to someone if I'm lying to, say, my congressman about this? What should I encourage them to vote for? What should I encourage them to support? And when I am going to vote somewhere, what should I be looking for? Uh, well, <laughs> I, I'm probably not the best person to speak to that, but I think the best thing to do right now is to focus not so much on, you know, the gay marriage thing, because that's old news. And it's, I, mean, I don't, who knows if the Supreme Court will ever revisit that decision. I have really, I have really have no idea about that. And I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. Um, even, I mean, I really, I just think that the, the the pressing issue of the day, and I just reiterate, is the medicalization of gender and how that's affecting so many people. And in your correspondence with your Congress representative, your congressional representative, mention if you want to write saying, please, you know, investigate the gender clinics where they're where they're doing these awful surgeries and treatments. You know, mention to them that it is, you know, it's homosexual people and you know, gays and lesbians are being harmed in this too. Like, make sure that you say that this is not just, you're not just coming at this from your Christian conviction or whatever, that you see the harms that are done to a broad range of people and that this is not just something that you're, you know, you care about because of your faith. Uh, I would say join up with people uh, in, and stay focused what you with what you agree on. Organize and say, look, we may not, we may not concur on a lot of things, but we have this in common, and so let's just focus on that and and go after it. Uh, get creative, do something, um, and be willing to put be willing to put differences aside for the sake of something good. Um, I, I will say, um, certainly among. You know, the Democrats these days, uh, they're every every last one of them, at least at the national level, is fully on board in supporting this. And the Republicans, there are some that care, but they seem to be awfully quiet about it and frankly kind of cowardly. So I don't know that you'll get much of response, but I do know of some parents and uh, others, some, you know, lesbians and, you know, feminists who have met with Republican, you know, senators and Congress persons, and they've outlined their concerns. And so there are people that are that are trying to talk. Um, and I say, do as much of it as you can. But uh, people are afraid to go up against this movement because it has a lot of money and a lot of power, a lot of influence. But you can't be afraid. Just do it anyway. <laughs> Hello, this is Andy Bannister, the director of the Solar Center for Public Christianity, and I'm delighted to endorse and uh, recommend the Ministry of Deeper Waters Apologetics. I've been hugely impressed watching the work that Nick has done over the years, building up the website and the podcast, the quality of the guests that he gets onto there. And I love the way that uh, the ministry challenges and encourages both Christians and those who don't have a Christian faith to really think through the claims of the gospel. I'm also impressed by just how Christ-centered and Nicky is and all that he does is his desire to see people encounter Jesus Christ and the life-transforming truth of the gospel. So uh, more strength to them. It's been a privilege to know Nick over the years. And I hope Deeper Waters goes from strength to strength. And if you haven't yet discovered it, check out the website deeperwatersapologetics.com for yourself.
Yeah, I mean, we've been... There's been a lot of fear, let's face it, of the LGBT community. And we, we think about things like the uh, Masterpiece Bakery mm-hmm. and incidents like that. But, you know, we... You know, I think we have to remember that it's easy to do good towards people who do good towards you. Even sinners do that. Mm-hmm. It's when you love your enemies. That's different. Well, and I think as you really start to love people, they cease being your enemies, frankly. I mean, I, if you really know how to love people and you care about them, you know, you can't, even if they are, you know, I mean, even if they are your ideological opponents, you, you can't, if you really love them, it's they're, you're not going to see them as someone to defeat in, in the kind of visceral sense. But yes, I agree with that. You know, something else I said to Michelle when she was on our show last week is that uh, if this movement had absolutely this whole way of thinking had absolutely nothing to do with sex I think everyone would know it's nonsense right at the start this whole idea of changing your sex and things like that. I, mean, I, I think everyone would condemn <clears throat> abortion automatically if it had nothing to do with sex mm-hmm yeah, and it, that's because it strikes to the core of a person. It's the most, it's it's the deepest part of our being. It's the most sensitive area of our humanity, um, and I. So it touches on something so profound within all of us, and so hence the, yeah, uh, hence the emotions and the 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 controversy that surrounds it. it I, I would agree with that, with what you and Michelle talked about. So, you said that you don't know if the Supreme Court will ever revisit this d- decision. I mean, based on what you've seen going on, you know, I mean, assuming that things keep going as they're going, mm-hmm. what do you think the end result is going to be? Wow. You know, I don't know. I mean, I really think that there will be a reckoning of some kind with all of this. Um, I, I look, the, I, I would say that I think that the sexual revolution is ultimately unworkable and that uh, it is collapsing in on itself. However, it has a lot of machine... <laughs> Uh, apparatus sort of propping it up and the damage that it is doing will be long lasting and so we're going to be dealing with the effects of this for a long time uh, sadly and churches and ministries are going to have to pick up the pieces and minister to people um, who've been harmed by it and I'll do that for the rest of my life I know and because that that's that's just not going away um, so I, I have really no idea what will come, certainly at the Supreme Court level. Here in a few weeks, there the whole issue of whether or not sex can be defined as gender identity in the law is going to be considered and adjudicated at the Supreme Court in a case involving a funeral home and a you know transitioning employee and was, who's fired as a result of that. And so... That will be um, very interesting to see how that comes down. Um, I think I really, I really, I have no way. Of, I'm not a prophet. I have no. I can. I have some foresight, but 
at, at the Supreme Court level, who knows what will happen, really. Um, things, cultures can change in a hurry. The, you know, there are events that I think cause realignments and shifts within societies that um, some of them take place over many years and others are very quick. But I, I really don't know how all the specifics will play out. Um, but we are in the we are in the throes of seeing uh, the the we are in, as Mary Eberstadt, a Catholic scholar, has a book out now. I've interviewed her recently called Primal Screams. We're hearing the primal screams of identity politics. I think in part because of the ravages of the sexual revolution, uh, and that would include its you know its legal uh, decisions that have been implemented, uh, propping it up, and so. It's a mess that we live in, but, you know, just be Christ to everyone and trust that he'll work through you and that he's the answer. And I don't mean to sound trite or cliche. That's really the best any of us can do. Yeah, yeah. something I, I do love about getting to a show like this is as soon as you mention this book, Prime or Screams, I'm already typing it in and going straight to Amazon and seeing what it's about. And it really is something tragic. Not all that said. I really think the sexual movement of this sort, the LGBT movement, is extremely dehumanizing. Mm-hmm. As if your whole identity is based on whatever kind of person you sleep with. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm a straight heterosexual male. I very much enjoy being with my wife. But my identity isn't determined by that. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yeah, I, it, it is, it is quite an interesting, that, that's probably one of the biggest chasms of, of difference. And, you know, I, I know, you know, lesbians and gays that they sort of consider it sort of as one of the facts of their being, that their identity is, is not wrapped up into that. But among those sort of leading the movement, yes, that is sort of what consumes them. And it's, it's this fight for for feeling, you know, fully justified in defining themselves as such. Um, and I would agree that there's so much more to a human being than that. And it would, yeah, dehumanizing, I think is, I, I think I, at its core, I would, I would believe that, that I would agree with that too. Um, human beings are not just the sum total of their, you know, attractions or their erotic leanings. Um, and I do think it's a, it's just, it, it's so inadequate to describe all of who we are. I agree. And what happens to this minute also if someone claims to be LGBT one of those and actually leaves that kind of lifestyle or position and goes on to assume a straight position or even people who say, you know, I'm a homosexual but I'm married to someone of the opposite sex anyway and trying mm-hmm. to live that way. I mean, how do these people get treated? Well, I mean, it's they have a hard time even getting their stories out. I mean, because on on the left, it's they don't believe that that's ever possible, and that's really ironic these days because you know the left is pushing the notion that you can actually change sex, which you can't. But I do. I believe that sexuality is a lot more fluid and complex, and that there are individuals who. Um, who have experienced 
transformation in their lives. And, and in fact, I know two survivors of the Pulse nightclub shooting in 2016. Uh, and some of them remain same-sex attracted and decide just they want to live chaste and they're going to be single. Uh, but others do get married to in heterosexual marriages and it's um I know some of them who've they've left that they've left behind that identity in life and they are not treated well. I mean I've I could tell you some harrowing stories, but it's um yeah, we need to support people like that too because they really face a lot of wrath and are are frequently told that that they were never really gay or lesbian, that they were just sort of or that they were bisexual. I mean, that that story is not one that is well received. Um, there's a there's a movement of young people now called the Freedom March, where I've I've, I've covered it some in my reporting. Where these it's mostly young people, millennials, who for several years lived and identified as among the LGBT acronym, and then there this is a Christian movement, so they they draw upon their faith and they talk about how the Lord. Um, drew them out of that and they're now sharing their stories of just all of what that was like in emerging from that life at, on stages in various cities and just they just want to share their testimonies publicly because um the stories they have are just not known uh, in the media and it's it's kind of it's so frustrating seeing the secular press cover those events because they always frame it as conversion therapy is this discredited practice from the American Psychological Association. And <laughs> they're, they're very upfront. Like they didn't go through conversion therapy. They talked with some pastors, maybe and they've prayed with people, but they had a spiritual experience with God and it's, that's what they've emphasized. And so, I mean, they don't believe that counseling for people who have unwanted same sex attraction should be banned, but um, it's very, <laughs> It's, it's frustrating to see how the mass media frames their stories when they dare to tell them publicly because it's, it's, it's usually doesn't get very, they don't get honestly covered. Uh, it's, it's frustrating. <laughs> you know, we got to start wrapping things up here now. And if someone does want to hear some of these stories, I recommend going to, I believe it was the first year of our show, we interviewed Greg Quinlan and a few others who identify themselves as ex-homosexuals. <laughs> But, um, Brandon, we've uh, come to our stopping point, unfortunately, because we're only having an hour show today. If someone's really curious about you and wants to find out more about you and your work, do you have a blog, a website, an email, a way people can get in touch with you if they want to find out more? Just go to the Christian Post. It's christianpost.com. And if you see an article that is, my name will always be under any article that I write. Um, and you can just click on, you click on the article and you can click on my name and you'll see my byline. If you also go to the ChristianPost.com and you'll click a drop-down menu that's on the left-hand side, you'll see podcast. I am the host of the CP podcast at this moment, and so I've got a. Usually, it's every um, every, every other Friday I'm releasing a new episode, and it's just kind of my it's my podcast is more sort of focused on more interesting themes, not so much this darker stuff we're talking about today, but it's sort of what God is doing in the world and the subjects that few uh, dare to explore, or sometimes, you know, just the one I just put out yesterday was on uh, the friendless, the phenomenon of friendless men, why men have no friends, 
Uh, and then the one before that was Mary Iberstadt about whether or not the sexual revolution was caused identity politics. So I've got all kinds of interesting stuff on there, but just go to the Christian Post and you'll see it all. Do you have any final thoughts you'd like to leave with a Deeper Waters podcast today? I would just say um, I want Christians to love the LGBT community well. I think we need to recognize that this has been an area where in an attempt to preserve orthodoxy, which is important, again, there have been a lot of people that have been wounded, and we need to recognize that. And I think the younger generation of, of I mean, we, we, there's a lot of debate about, you know, this sort of exodus from the church that we're seeing, and some people, you know, don't think that's happening as much, but it, there's no doubt that the culture is becoming a lot more host, hostile to to Christians. And so I, I've just, I just want to say, like, don't be afraid to minister to people with same-sex attraction and don't be freaked out by it. And for goodness sakes, just recognize how that while, yes, there are people at the helm of LGBT organizations that are quite boorish and they're bullying and they're advocating for a lot of destructive stuff, especially this medicalization of gender where it's just, it's absolutely awful what's being done. But don't miss an opportunity to love your neighbors, including your LGBT neighbors. Um, it's, it's, it might be challenging, but, you know, it, since when did Jesus promise that any of this would be easy? He didn't promise it would be easy, but he did promise to be with us until the end of the age. And so take a risk, radically love, and trust that the Holy Spirit will show up. Also, don't compromise. And I, I don't know, it's, that's a hard thing to do. But again, just do it. <laughs> You know, when you talk about things never being easy, I couldn't but think of a more than an old song. I beg your pardon, I never promised you a rose garden. Mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> well, well, Brandon, it's been great having you on here, and hopefully we'll see you back here again sometime. Thank you, Nick. I appreciate the opportunity. Mm-hmm. And like I next week we're going to have uh, Mary Jo Sharp on here, a second time on the show, talking about her book, why I Still Believe. You talk about hypocrisy in the church? We're going to be talking about that next week. For now, I'm Nick Peters, and I'm signing off.